Good evening, podcast listeners. Uh, I hope you're all looking forward to a restful Easter weekend with plenty of painting, modelling, and if you can, some gaming on table. Tonight's podcast uh, is uh, slightly longer than usual, so appropriate for the Easter weekend. And I also want to give you a heads up that um, next week we will be recording a special podcast to go through the changes um, that are happening in the list and the points uh, and how that impacts things, picking out some favorite lists, seeing how things are going. Um, with the, so That's for the new 2021 changes. So what are we going to do in this podcast? Well, we're going to Asia and we're going to be looking at the warring states and we're going to specifically look at the Qin dynasty and the Han dynasty, um, look at their history, look at the armies, how you might create them, and how you might create competitive armies for tournaments. And on that note, we're going to be joined tonight by Pete Entwistle, who has used Qin. Uh, he won at Burton with it. And he placed very highly in the individual world championships uh, last year. Um, so someone who has used the list in anger and done very well. So we're very lucky to have him with us. Um, obviously, I'm joined by podcast regulars, uh, Nick Goutrocker and Richard Jeffrey Cook, who are going to do all the clever things. Um, and they will be leading the history uh, piece of the podcast. Um, the other thing that we have, uh, which is an interview after the uh, chin and hand section with Tim Porter, who is the head honcho over at the BHGS. And why do I think the BHGS is important? I think it's important because they run events um, which have proven to be very popular with the Meg community. Um, and they've been around for a very long time and they've done a hell of a lot for the hobby. So we'll be hearing from Tim and we'll be hearing uh, his opinions about how things can improve going forward. So without further ado, let's crack on with the chin and the hand. Right, so what we're going to now do is look at the troops available to us in the chin uh, list, which we find on the PDFs on the website. And once we've had a quick chat about that, we're going to go and look at how a uh, a pro user would actually choose his chin list and what he came up with and how he successfully so um rjc you're going to kick off with this yeah so the the chin uh list part of the warring states and hand list set the second of asian list set and the the army really consists of chariots um the chariots are actually starting to uh, rapidly decline at this period so the list can have up to eight chariots um, the classification of the chariots is fairly flexible uh, intentionally so because um, the it's quite difficult to understand how the chariot use period so they are um, formed loose average protected experienced crossbow because we know they had carried crossbow armed troops they get short spear and melee experts but you can also have the option of shoot and charge and devastating charge. So you can essentially op operate them either in a sort of skirmish mode, really red, ready and willing to fight, or as a sort of bust through chariot and strike. 
Along with that, you've got uh, cavalry, both heavy and skirmish cavalry, although cavalry are a very small part. They were only about a percent of Chin Forsy cavalry, um, although that was to grow later. And, and then you've got infantry um, equipped with a range of um, weapons, um, the infantry weapons, sword, spears, and halberds, which were known as G. Um, so you get uh, pole arm uh, and you you get um, uh, the missile troop, uh, generally crossbow, the missile weapon of choice in this period. Um, the better troops, um, average or superior. Um, the conscript troops are still average. Uh, the list also provides the option for mixing your close troops and your missile troops are one-third to two-third rate. And then you've got a collection of skirmishing cavalry and skirm For skirmishers, they use the bow rather than a form. And you've got the option. The chin is a sort of opportunity of those forces. I suppose the notable chin army is the combination of pole armor and devastating charges, um, which uh, turns them into a sort of stronger strike force, really, obviously, um, increasing the points cost, however. Um, but that, that's, that's the thing that probably distinguishes the Chin from the other warring states' armies. And, and no allies. So even after they've conquered a warring state, one of the other warring states, they, they don't have any allies available to try. No, the chin, chin basically incorporated conquered right. troops into okay. their own army. Uh, if, you, if you were willing to fight for the Chin, well and good. If you weren't, you were, you were dead. pulled off to the middle of nowhere and settled in a penal. And, uh, and, and I also, just as a, as a list, because I just, quite a lot of compulsory troops, you know, because many, many lists have very, very few compulsory troops, but there's quite a few in this list. It's not a problem, I'm just saying, it's just... A true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think... can't really argue with that. Yes, right. Um, <laughs> well, one, one, so... thing it's, one thing it's got an advantage over some of its contemporaries is those conscript troops are average, where if I remember yeah. rightly, quite a lot, you know, this is, this is the chin are are definitely militaristic and up for a fight. Yeah, yeah. So, Pete, what? Do, so, looking at this list, and you, you, you decided that there was some good stuff in here, and you, and you chose this. So, tell us about your list. Yeah, well, I went for the the main part of the army being the mixed units of the infantry with uh, Paul Iman crossbow as a, a solid base, and they can put out a bit of firepower as well. Uh, to support that, I use the devastating charges and uh, also like to use three units of uh, skirmish cavalry uh, who can go forward in Cantabrian and uh, hopefully uh, shoot a few units apart in the process. Uh, my, the way I use my army is basically to wear my opponent down with all the firepower and then when I'm ready, attack him and hopefully win. Now, there's this thing is that they can go loopy or something, can't they? They can go berserk. Yes, they can, they, can, they can discard their armour, uh, become fleet of foot, unarmoured, and I think they gain melee expert as well uh, in the process. But you, I think, the, I think the list states you must notify your opponent before, beforehand of this uh, special ability. But I've never used that, uh, which is uh, when we were at so at the tournament in uh, Belgium, uh, a couple of a couple of the armies uh, did have that uh, ability. It's, it's a bit of flavour for the chin. Um, yeah. It represents their um, sort of head hunting nature, um, and 
yeah, the the um, sort of giving them melee expert really just counteracts the fact that they are unprotected. Yeah, it, it um, makes for a very aggressive army. Yeah, yeah, and and the the fleet of foot means that they obviously can. It applies from the first time they declare a charge, um, so it gives them the option of charging uh, the extra distance as well. So it does make it quite a, an aggressive. Um, Am I right that, that that you can choose to do that on a game-by-game game basis, can't you? So it's not built into your army list? The the list set doesn't specify, um, so that, that would be down to a competition organiser to rule one way or the other. Okay, yeah. My own opinion is if you choose the option, choose it for all four. All, all the games in the competition. I don't think it should be a pick of pick and mix up. It, it, it's it's a nice ability if you're facing a non-missile army because you, you you're going to get in uh, pretty unscathed. Somebody who's got a lot of shooting, you're going to get uh, get hurt on the way in. Yeah, but you do you do at least get you do get the fleet of foot though, don't you? So you oh, yeah. you've yeah. got the, you've got the greater move. So you you. Hopefully you'll cut down some of their shooting if you were to use it. Yeah. Uh, you're less likely to be slowed, so more likely to get into combat. Yeah, true. You know, it's um, yeah. I mean, is, is is it because of the, um, the the possible shooting that you haven't used it, or is it just it, yeah, not it is, deemed yeah, it necessary? Yeah, I just haven't used it in that format, and, and possibly I should try to. So, you know, because I mean, just look at your army. The one thing we've got the lists up in front of us. Um, you've also taken an internal ally general is that, is that that on a classic i'll save some points just to uh, exactly. get the army i want <laughs> yeah exactly yeah yeah because yeah. as ray pointed out there aren't any external allies here so yeah. i mean i must look at the list you know you've got you've got your four you've got four units of the close fighters with g uh one of which is superior you know that superior pole arm devastating charger can be quite frightening uh, if if they get the shatter when they're going in the charge, it, it can be cut very nasty for your opponent. Yeah. Uh, but that's down to the dice. Yeah, but I would presume, therefore, you, you're looking to put a block of these guys in at once. You're not going to be... Yeah, yeah. You've, got to, you've, got to, you've got to go in, yeah, like that. Yeah, because I, I think it's something I've, I've seen, I think it's a mistake people make if they've got things like devastating charges. You know, they, they don't commit big. So yeah. that, you know, because... I've been on the I've been on the receiving end of somebody who committed lances quite big, got a skull first up, yep. and then that just rolled. Yeah, and yeah. It was an extremely painful experience, although a very brief experience for my troops. So yeah, I mean, you you want as much contiguous um, fighting, don't you, when you go in with dev chargers? Yeah, you you want to get in if if you've got a lot charging at the same time. Then, like Nick says, if you get the skulls or shatters, you're uh, it's going to roll down the line. It changes the odds quite quite yeah. a lot. Pete, how do you use the cavalry? Because you've only got the one. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I use it more in a supportive role. That if, if if I can get a flank, or if I can get a breakthrough and get through my opponent, then I I can use it more effectively. But I I, I do tend to uh, like the uh, the, the pole arms are very good when it does charging because it also has the ability to uh, get shatters as well. The yeah. the mounted pole arm. Yeah, and and has a claim has a claim in melee, so it's the it's the equivalent of melee expert. Yes, as well. Yeah, second, so I th- I th- second round, yeah. Yeah, so I think that I think sometimes people miss that because there's nothing in the characteristics column. <laughs> mm, yeah. You have to remind yourself. Oh, hang on, it's sort of two in one. 
Yeah. See, yeah. I, I like to play the general, uh, the CNC floating, so I can issue the cards out where I need them as well. Actually, that's, that's, that's an interesting point as well, actually. As I've only just noticed, you've a very unusual, mediocre CNC. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think I've only ever seen one or two other people do that. I think that was uh, a bit of a necessity to try and get the the uh, units into the army that I wanted uh, to play about with the general. But still, after that, you've got two talented and a competent, so you're yeah, not short yeah. of points yeah. <laughs> of cards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's... So polearm has all the characteristics of spear. So you, you're getting plus one in both. You're getting plus one in melee as well, both mounted and and foot. So foot polearm only gets the plus again uh, if it's. I think you've got you've got to be two ranks deep in ranks. Uh, in in melee for foot, the the bonus. Foot polearm against infantry. Yeah, yeah. For melee, it needs to be two ranks. It still counts if you're mounted in one rank. Spear yeah. needs to be in two ranks. Yeah. Ma mounted yeah. pole arm only ever needs to be in one rank. It's good, isn't it? Yeah. It doesn't get a claim against infantry in the charge phase, though. Right. But if you roll an S or a skull, depending on your... It does get the shatter. So it's, it's a really interesting weapon, actually, mounted yeah. pole arm. <laughs> see, see, when I was looking at the list... Um, well, actually, I don't... I don't so... So you've still got 13 cards, um, and this is a 2020 list. So I, I, has, has one PBS card been added since then, or is that... Or is that... No, the, no, PBS? That, Sorry, Richard. Yeah, that, that stays the same. Right. So you've got, you've got six PBS, you've got a mediocre professional. You don't care whether you attack or defend, do you? Yeah. <laughs> you just don't care. You've got flexible troops. You there's, a lot, there's, a, there's a lot of shooting there, so you, you can deal with a lot of things with it. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Yeah, it's. I says I suspect it's hard to redeploy if you got it wrong because yes. yeah, all that shooting is tribal. Tribal, yes. yeah, yeah. And it's only so, one yeah. rank of shooting. Oh no, sorry, they're double up. Sorry, I'm talking rubbish. They're uh, it's a three 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 or a two two two, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. The one thing you have to be aware of is that if you do lose one rank, then the units become quite vulnerable because they're. Behind the front rank of pole arm, you've got unprotected um, yeah. crossbowmen with no missing. Yeah, but but the but the big units and they're very good for pinning your opponent while the devastating charges etc. do their job as well. Yeah, there's the master talking. You see. Yeah. So I mean, they're nines. They're units of you know they are big units that you have to really grind down. The, the, the other tactic I use with the army as well is to get within four inch fire with the crossbows and then retreat back and give yourself another round of shooting. <laughs> and in the process, you're slowing your opponent down as well. Yeah, I think we've all learned that one the hard yeah. way. <laughs> it's, everybody does, yeah. yeah. I must confess, it's not my sort of army, but I can certainly see how it can work. Yeah. Just out of interest, what armies did you fight at Badcom when you won the competition, Pete? Uh, can you remember? I can't remember, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you might have been there when I think uh, whoever was fighting, it might have been Adrian Pitfield, and I was rolling some incredible dice. <laughs> yeah, I, I, was, I was at Badcon. I must admit, I, I had yeah. my Han army, uh, which was all mounted, and with, with all those crossbowmen, that would have caused me real trouble. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's very good against a, a, a mounted nomad shooty army, that's for sure. So, you know, and I wonder if that's one of those cases where it might have been worth you throwing off the armour. 
Yeah, so, possibly. Yeah. You know, d- d- just when I, if, if I'd been worn down and you were pushing just to really squeeze the table with that extra yeah. one base width charge move. Yes. That, that's situational. Yeah, it's it's a it's a fearsome army. Uh, I think I'm glad I didn't beat it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think confidence in deployment is what it needs. I mean, you could say I don't know what you're talking about, Ray. It deploys itself because look at it. But I think you, if you get it wrong, some of your troops are never going to fight. This yeah, the, the, the other thing you can do with the army, because the mixed units, the front ranks flexible and the rear ranks loose, uh, you can put a lot of terrain on the board, be it rougher areas, etc., and you can still operate quite well in that as well. Right. So forcing your opponent to, to attack to, into the places you want them, yeah. The, yeah. All, all the infantry can effectively be loose because your close fighters are loose. Yeah. Again, is, again, I think it's different from most of its contemporary Chinese who get them flexible. That's back to Richard's point about the ferocity and <laughs> wild charging, isn't it? Yeah, so well, if, everything... if you can protect your flanks uh, so that your opponent's not going to get round, then you've got a solid wall of infantry there to uh, yeah. to advance with. And, and, and all the foot is either flexible or loose. So uh, Except for the close fighters, they are actually formed loose. Oh, OK. But, yeah. Yeah, the, the mixed troops are flexible front rank loose yeah. for the missile. But the the entire form at the entire close up fighting, they um they are just loose. But the um what card do you need to change a a tug of uh tribal flexible? Sounds like a red to me. Yeah, it probably will yes. be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. if, if you started to change the uh, the what they are in flexible. I think you you've got problems at that point. Right, something yeah. else has gone wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. wrong yeah. Mind you, if you're keeping them as a group, oh no, they're not the dev chart. Anyway, I was going to say it's a it's a red and a green, isn't it? Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So I I I I, I think I think um, I think my my army I've, is now having seen Pete, I've realised that he's done a bit of a min max. He's got a plan. He knows what he's doing. And I've just kind of tried to make my army look like other armies. <laughs> So you've never played with it, have you, Ray? No. So presumably, Pete, you gave it some runouts beforehand, and the truth is, I don't even have the figures to do it. So can you switch to my list so I can just talk the uh, listener through that? So, so I went for the command and control. I went for four competent professional generals, and then I've got the flexibility. The commander can be floating, and I wanted. Uh, to get seven PBS, and I wanted four scouting because, um, you know, four, obviously the army is a lot more than that, but, you know, four is, is a pretty solid scouting. Um, so the differences are, when I when I looked at the list, I all I could think about, so it's completely opposite of what Pete's saying, which is why this is hilarious. So I looked at the list, and I'm thinking, right, I want those close fighters with G, because they're rock hard, average protected, Pole arm dev charge, yes, please. I want them right, and I want the superiors. So I'm going to have four, and two of them going to be superior. And then, and then I'm looking at the I want, and that's a strike force. And I want another strike force, right? I want full fat chariots. I want chariots with everything. So I'll have some of them, and I'll have the heavy heavy cavalry as well. So, so the other bits, the bits that Pete says are the really good things in the army. I was just kind of just like making up the numbers with them. So yeah. Yeah, well, you, I, and then I also wanted to make sure I had 11 uh, tugs, so it broke on six. So I've got a unit of the levies, really, really cheap unit, infantry, tribal, loose, poor, unprotected, 
Actually, I'll run through the list. So I've got close fighters with G, the infantry form loose, average protected pole arm. I've got two of those. Then I've got two of those, but they're superior. So infantry form loose, superior protected pole arm, dead charge. So, this, so that, that to me was my strike force. And that, that's the same as basically you've got one more that's superior. superior. I have four units and, and, yeah. and you have. So oh, very similar. I, 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 when it said half could be superior, right, I want two and two. Um, and then the, my close fighters, is this the same composition? I've got two two of the front rank and four of the back rank. Uh, I've gone for, I've tried to go for threes and sixes. Yeah. So and then the occasional two and four. Yours are really hard to wear down. Mine probably wouldn't be. So I've, I think I've completely cocked up the army. So my close fighters, so I've got um, are tugs of six with two two pole arm and, and four missile troops. But I'd probably use them slightly differently. That's my excuse. Um, and then uh, then a heavy cavalry, which I made dismountable, and then the chariots. And I, and like Pete, I really like the idea of um, three sugs of uh, average unprotected experience bow, combat strike and tabrium light horse because they can, you know, if you're playing someone who's fairly static, you can really rip a couple of tugs up with, um, you know, ping, 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 ping for a few turns. Um, and and for again, PBS, I wanted to control the terrain a bit, probably didn't think that through because really need to, and the four scouting cards. So so I think mine would be a bit of a you know, pig in a poke. It's, not, it's neither this nor that. And I've probably compromised the good plan with this army by my choice. So I'm happy to be the duffer again. But you, you've got quite a strong attacking force by the fact you've got the four yeah. club fighter units and you, you can throw in the chariots as well. Yeah, I mean, I wanted that dual. I de- I, yes, thank you for being nice. I wanted the dual threat and I thought the chariots were pretty tasty. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't think it's a bad army, right? I think by taking that second unit of the superior uh, close fighters, I think if you if you if like Pete, you'd only had one of the superiors. I think you'd be you'd be yeah. sort of one really hard hitting unit light. Yeah. But you've taken the two uh, with the chariots. See, it, it, it's just a slight it's a slight change of emphasis, isn't it? Yeah. It's a bit more oomph. And and you has anyone have... spotted Ray's Ray's list mistake this this podcast? Oh, I thought we'd leave that to the listener this time. I had it. I had it checked before I sent it to you. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's nothing le- leaping out this time, Richard. Have you uh, spotted anything? <laughs> I have to say, I haven't. So, oh, I, I got the Duventio tournament organizer to check my list. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I didn't he... want to be. I didn't want to be the butt of everyone's jokes again. Yeah. And right. the thing is on that, I was going to say as well, just on that, sort of being, it's a bit more front foot aggressive than Pete's battle plan would be because of its setup. You know, you, you don't knock sorry, you know, the heavy cavalry. Yeah, gun. I know. Um, yeah. Well, because the heavy cavalry have got someone to go in with, I, you know, I'd try and keep them together. I wouldn't put one on each flank or anything like that. You know, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a, I think it's got a couple of, a couple of places. Go. And, it, you know, it, it, it's not surprising that I've, Come for an, an aggressive army. Fit, fits you a bit more, but yeah. So you know, it's solid army. I think possibly just the difference between Pete's. Pete's used his, honed it. And if you went through that process, you might do something. Yeah, but I think I think um, you know Pete's probably got an army that he could take to an open team as well. Yeah, it's an army I'm comfortable with, so you know I'm happy with that, and I, I, I would t- I would take it to an open. You would. Yeah. 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 See, and, 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 and you know, I'm. I'm I, 
it, and it's a better open army than than this list here. Um, cool. Possibly. Well, the master has spoken, and uh, and and I and he's going through his list, and I'm like, why didn't I think of that? Why didn't I think of that? units of tugs of nine? Grind me down. Come on, then. Come and grind me down. And I tell you what, while you're trying to grind me down, I'm going to shoot you on the way in. It's great. I love it, Pete. I love it. Shall we move on to the Han? We can indeed. So I just... we, we should try and get some for the listeners. We should try and get some photos of. Uh, of Pete, uh, of Pete's army that he actually painted to, to look like the terracotta army. Seen on mass, it's it's pretty impressive. I like seeing it on the table next to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <it's laughs> on your table. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, as I actually, said, before we move from the chin, if you play the special rule, do you have to put another set of figures on the table without armor? No, I, th- I think what's been suggested is that you have some sort of marker, possibly with like a discarded armor on, so you can show that the unit has gone into its unarmoured, unprotected mode, uh, and, it, and that stays with it for the rest of the game. Right. Because that would be one way of making sure the rule was never used, if you have to paint a whole other army. <laughs> sure. yeah. Well, that's a, a challenge for somebody to paint that the figures... No, thank you. <laughs> and actually, before, before we move off on that, just the kind of tournament-stroke-event discussion, if I was... Obviously, I'd never be umpiring, because I don't know the rules, but, I mean, if I was, if I was running an event, uh, which I sometimes do... I don't think I would say if you make them go loopy, they have to stay loopy for the whole tournament. I think that, that, that that's no. If you choose it, choose it on, on what you're playing in the next round. So I, I would, uh, I, I'd, I'd have to have an argument about that. Fair well, I've, you could argue it whichever way you wanted. I think it really, you know. All right. Well, if it was my tournament, you, I'd you, take my toys home, and I would yeah. say, I would say, <laughs> you choose at the start of each game. Yeah. You could even say that in a theme tour, say you had a a a, a Chinese Chinese BCE competition, you have to choose. I, I think that's one or the other. I think that's in, definitely in, more. A, but in an open competition, you can do it on a game by yeah. game basis. But personally, as as somebody who might face it because I haven't got it, I'd, I'd be quite relaxed either way. What does it say in the Bible about the peacekeepers, Nick? What a lovely compromise. <laughs> <laughs> it said about the meek shall inherit the earth. And then somebody, <laughs> so, I, I, I did read somewhere, somewhere somebody suggested, yes, they will inherit six foot by three foot. <laughs> I've got more chance of getting into heaven than a camel to pass through the eye of a needle, mate. So uh, don't worry about it. Right. <laughs> who's, uh, who's up next? We're going to look at hand now. The Western, Western hand. Is there, is, yeah. there, is there any other than the Western? Or this is this is the um, Han Dynasty up to uh, twenty three A.D. or C.E. depending on your preference. Um, so it's it's the uh, army before the Han re- rebellions and the Cat East. Um, so the army itself consists really of um, three main elements. The the Han had that were based really around around the capital and provided the central control, and then they had the conscript army troops uh, who were used to do sort of border service, uh, guarding the frontiers. And then they 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 played with a mix of either or for some of the invasions that they took. Um, so pretty similar to the Qin in some respects, in that you've got. Um, cavalry, you lose the chariot um, later on, 
and list, um, but you've got infantry, except at this point, they're better drilled, but they're less aggressive. You don't get the devastating charges, you get the pole arm, and the standing army troops are drilled, and the conscript army troops are flexible. Um, you've again, you've got the option of mixed tugs, um, um, but the the uh, hand generals were fairly sort of flexible. There, there doesn't seem to have been a a sort of dynasty-wide doctrine on how you use the troops. So you also get um, various options amongst the other troops in the Han Army. You can have close fighters with Mao, with long spear, and you've got close fighters with Yan. Those were essential swordsmen who we classify as short sword imp. Um, so it's the Han I find is a is a sort of army of um, different choices. Um, do you go standing army? Do you go conscript army? Um, and what other troops do you want to employ? Do you want to use the army with mixed tugs? Or is the army splitting out? Be close for the missile. Uh, so I, the army. Sorry. Sorry. Can I give you a little break? Can I just say I've seen? Can you go down to the second page? I've seen. Yeah, sure. Sorry. I've seen something that I really like. I've got no idea what lists you've developed, but you've got these horse archers, cavalry, formed, flexible, average, protected, experienced bow, and you can have three tugs of six. I'm having them every day of the week on my order. I want them top of the page. Well, as it, as it happens, I have um, <laughs> I have them near the top of my list. <laughs> I actually have two tugs. I couldn't get the third. I bet they, um, but yeah, I have them supporting uh, two lots of conscript cavalry. I, I went for the conscript army troops. So the army is essentially formed. Right. Um, so I've got the two tugs of the cavalry with the mounted pole arm. Uh, I've got them experienced crossbow and I gave them shoot and charge so that you can use them as a, um, a strike weapon. You can catch those nasty skirmishing horse cavalry yep. by using your shoot and charge ability with the crossbow and then thoroughly duff them over with the mounted pole on. Um, and yes, yeah, supported by the protected horse dashers uh, as well. So um, uh, gives you a nice solid cavalry, um, cavalry Richard, Can I just ask a favour, just because um, you mentioned you mentioned how you would use the, the mounted pole arm and the shoot and charge. Can you just run through that rule for me? Because, you know, I don't know the rules very well. So you, I'm, I'm lining up in front of you and I'm going to charge you. So if you're light horse, I I so, have to be within three base widths, don't I? Yeah, I have to be in shooting range. Yeah. But uh, yes. um, essentially, the start of the charge. when I declare the charge, I get to shoot. Yeah. And those slowing effects count um, against your opponent so if they're running away they're potentially slowed if they make the mistake of skirmish you you you're increasing your chances of catching and you're dishing out casualties as well uh with a bit of luck yeah yeah well uh, well so if you're not if you're not uh, well anyway so and the, do you do you shoot at your shooting skill so you're shooting at experience yes you're shooting at experience Okay. And you so, just you can't do it if you're countercharging or intercepting. Uh, you can't do it if you're countercharging well, because you shoot when you declare the charge. Right. Yep. So it can't. You, 
you can shoot if you're choosing to skirmish or run away if you are being right it essentially adds another option to your normal shooting options um yes but yeah but it it, it yeah no I, I agree with richard um you as it's the shooting charge one is done when you declare a charge and, and counter charges for the listeners for the listeners you know sake you've got to be within shooting range not charge range if you want to use shoot and charge yeah absolutely yeah. you can still charge if you're further away yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I'm, no, to be honest they're good without shooting charge but hey yeah. Well, sorry, it, Richard. I interrupted, it, but I think I think that's the kind of thing that people will get confused about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it's, it it generally I find it forces your opponent. Um, for example, if you've got the Cantabrian unprotected um, light cavalry that uh, Pete was talking about, they've they've got a real difficult decision to make. If they if they get too close, they're risking um, being caught. Um, and do, if you run away, of course, your own shooting is um, less effective because if you've got Cantabria and you choose to run away, you don't get the benefit of Cantabria shooting there. So you can effect, uh, effectively drop from green to black dice. Yeah. 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 And so, if you're in Cantabrian, you reduce your skirmish or runaway move by one base width. You get minus one on your dice roll for the your dice roll, sorry. So that's, that's very important, remembering that on the dice roll. Yeah, yeah. A, a lot of people do exactly what you said, Ray. They think it's one off the movement, and that's just the the normal movement phase movement. If you start or end in Cantabrian, but on the in the skirmishing part, either skirmish or run away. If you start in Cantabrian, it's minus one of your dice, so it's increasing your chance of skirmishing or running away a lower, a shorter distance. Yeah, yeah. So again, cat. Combine that with the shoot and charge. If your opponent's got shoot and charge, they could be inflicting slows on you as well. Yep. So I, what, what I think it means is actually that your Cantabrian light horse are going to run away unless... Well, which is the, good because that, that means you're not getting shot up as much, which I think is the, the nuance that Richard was coming to. But I just want to ask, I just want to have a laugh at Nick. So was that why your experiment with poor light horse who had Cantabrian didn't quite work? It worked brilliantly. <laughs> Did it? Yes, it got me the unit in the army I wouldn't have otherwise have got. Um, no, I, I, just for the listener, um, last year in, in an army for a specific competition where I had a very good idea of the army I was going to fight because it was one of Ray's where you knew the person you were going to fight. Um, I thought it, I thought their army wouldn't be that mobile um, and I, I could risk the, the, the poor because poor are also less likely to run their full distance. So add to the Cantabrian, <laughs> they're very likely to get caught, basically. But it was a very, it was a specific calculated risk. Fine. Poor old Richard's waiting, waiting very patiently to tell us about his Western hand list. So we've got through two, two units of conscript cavalry so far. Yeah, supported by two units of these protected horse archers. Um, the infantry are all... Uh, well, the, the close fighters are all flex, form flexible. Um, three, three tugs of eight with pole arm, one tug with short spear, and, and one tug of eight with long spear. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm going really for a fighty army there, and, and I've just padded it out with two unit conscript crossbowmen who are just average under combat show. They're going to be put somewhere safe <laughs> and to manage it. And then uh, just one unit of skirmishing archers, 
just to pad out the points really poor un- and combat so um they're they're really probably to uh, either absorb shooting casualties just to add a little bit of extra missile fire to probably the cavalry i guess as to how i'd use them four competent professionals for the generals gives you seven pbs and three scouting cards um i'd probably choose to float uh general um the the army commander um i think that's the way i'd probably play it most of the time but if i didn't just have the four general and have the option army commander dish a card out to a sub general it's all a bit all a bit um sort of plain and boring really but uh <laughs> no, i just i just noticed you've got a unit of long so you can only have one tug of long spear though yeah those are the close fighters with mao uh I've got, I've got Simon's video going. I went to the Mortimer Gloria website. It just started. That was that was that was Simon talking in the background. All right, All right. Um, Richard. You, I. One thing that jumps out at me of this list is, is really the close fighters with Jan. Don't really. Is it you've run out of conscript close fighters with pole arms? Yes, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Um... I, yeah, I chose I chose to max out on the close fight. Um, if if the the problem is if you want more close fighters, you've got to go to the standing army, and then you're using the drilled um, troops as well, um, and then you're you're struggling to get to eleven tugs. Um, I I prefer this sort of army. I'd be one of the eleven tugs possible. Strikes me as an army. It's going to be a bit of an attritional fight with those three pole arm guys. It's one thing about the hand; it doesn't actually have a punch, does it? <laughs> really, it's, it's it's a more we we're going to bore you into winning. <laughs> <laughs> and I think one thing you're always very good at, Richard, is at deployment, getting your matchups right. And I think that's what it depends on that list. I agree. I think. Uh, you, I mean, you can go for an awful lot of terrain. Um, it's not an army that's going to worry about terrain at all. No. So. That that gives you a certain advantage against certain. Um, so uh, thinking thinking about the, I've got two questions for you. So thinking about the terrain, what terrain uh, could you? So long spear in certain terrain, so is not very good, is it? What you can't use, you don't get your long spear factor. Is that am I or am I imagining that? I think you're imagining that. Fine. Okay. That's a different rule set. Yeah, I, th- um, I think I think you, you may be thinking of close formation. Uh, okay. Who would right. then be disadvantaged by terrain? So if you sort of effectively wouldn't get your pluses, right. you could effectively be on a, a negative. But with long, maybe there's some difficult terrain that you don't long. You don't get your long spear factors in if you're if you're in there as loose. Anyway, forget that. So you you just kind of the, the best troops in the army, the the cavalry form, flexible, average, protected, experienced bow. Um, you uh, you've given them. They're not compulsory combat shy either. But you've given them combat shy, and um, you said you just brushed over it. Said they were going to be there supporting your your cavalry because for me they are just the ultimate find a flank and smack into it unit. Well, I'm, I'm assuming that my opponent is probably going to try and protect their flanks, so that's why I would use the cavalry in combination with the horse archers because the cavalry are very much solid troops to break through what's protecting the flank and then swing the horse arch to do the, the damage if you get the opportunity. Yeah. It's also going to be a points thing because without combat shy, they're giving you, what, about 130 points or something? Uh, it, it certainly makes a difference. Yeah, so, you you, you know, so you, you'll, if you want those 11, 11 units, you 
Yeah, it's it's the old compromise. It's one thing that doesn't. It demonstrates that the the system works quite well. You can't get the perfect army. Yeah, no. Talking about twenty-eight points uh, extra if you don't have the combat shot. Yeah. So um, uh, and so my argument was you use the conscript cavalry to fight, and you use the combat shy horse archers to to skirmish what they they are facing. But, but if they if they end up they they can really bully light horse archers. Yeah. And yeah. and and in fact any unprotected horse archer that protected makes a huge difference, and the combat shy makes no difference if you if you're just in a shooting match. If you're in a shooting match, I agree. You know if. If somebody's a bit isn't quite careful, take your three units of Cantabrian guys. Um, okay, you're in Cantabrian, so you're getting the, the plus, but if you're not careful and don't keep them separated from these horse archers and protected, you're going to be shooting equally. Cause, yeah, cause they're going to close on you. If the they're going to come up close and get the plus because you're unarmed yeah. and protected. You know, then if, they've got, you know, if they are supporting the conscript cavalry, you've got some shooting charges in the mix. You know, obviously that's a sort of ideal world attacking them, but you know, yeah, it's, and, and I mean, if the flank's exposed, you can be in skirmish formation and knit round the the flank switch formation, and all of a sudden there's a a nasty tug um, ready to charge in flank or rear. Ten inch, ten base width charge. We love it. <laughs> Always good if you can do it. It's one of those ones that if you do that in a game and you ch- get a flank or a rear with a 10-inch charge with, with those flexible. I actually don't care about the rest of the result of the game. I've just I've, I've won because I've done that charge. <laughs> yeah, just, just hope you don't roll the blanks or the S's. Oh, uh, yeah, that's that's the next problem. Yeah. Right, <laughs> shall we move on to Nick's? I can, I can, I'm, I'm, I can, I can just imagine what the three. Yeah. Well, 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 let's, well, let's, well see if I could, let's see if I've got it right. Go on, then. Well, I, I think it's blindingly obvious what mine's going to be. Actually, uh, before, before I reveal it to you i'm going to get my excuses in first um actually no i'll just i'll I'll show it um i've i've gone for an option in the list for the western hand where you can take an all cavalry army the 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 list has infantry minimums but they if you choose to go fully mounted um you don't have to take the infantry so you could um this is because the western hand um as they were they they Spent a lot of time fighting the nomads on the borders across the Yellow River, um, and they started to use wholly mounted armies to go and try and catch them because infantry are not very good at catching nomad horse archers, and definitely not in the strategic sense. So, so that's why the, the list can have it. I've also constructed this um, to partly just to see what it looked like by taking advantage of an option that is in the new list where any army that is wholly mounted can choose no camp even if no so, so that, that's addition so previously the western hand even if all mounted had to have a camp but now they can take the no camp option but it comes at a significant cost as as our, our listener will find out when they look at the new army list which are can in- we can we also explain that the no camp option uh means that if you are invading you don't have a camp at all if you're defending you actually take a mobile indeed uh, and, and a poor mobile camp i believe to boot yeah yeah and actually that leads straight on to 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 my choices in army commanders which i get have been driven by that because i managed to remember it. it took me a long time to get my head around that with no camp 
So, so I've gone for a legendary professional CNC. So you want to be invading? I want to win. I want to get that invasion. Yeah. I want, you know, a poor, poor mobile camp. Okay, it, it can shuffle a little way, but it, it can't shuffle that far away. So well, it's gone. a very expensive general. That's a monstrous. It's 1,600 points of, of professional general, that is. You know, that's what you pay for Alexander. Um, I've gone for a talented professional sub-general. And again, this is, this, is, this is sort of been driven by this no camp option. Um, I am very much keeping the possibility of flank marching. Yep. Invade, choose the terrain. <laughs> if you get a strategic intercept, have the option for a flank march as well. You know, so that you can really maximise the fact that there is nothing solid for the enemy to attack. There's no, there's no camp that can't move. The whole it's army. A bowl of jelly. Yeah, it's 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 fog. It's mist. It's, <laughs> it means it's not going to be that big, but you know, because you're paying a lot. Um, which only re with the rest of the stuff in the army has left me with just a third general as a mediocre professional. So you know, there's, there's not that much command there, but I think there's enough. Just it gets quite exciting if you flank march and four cards go off the table. The army has got three units of the drilled, the standing army cavalry, drilled loose, average protected, experienced crossbow, mounted pole arm, shoot and charge, and dismountable. So three fours of those, then two, two sixes of the conscript heavy cavalry, which are basically the same but formed loose, two sixes of the horse archers, as we have just discussed. Note, not combat shy. I've gone for the ones Ray was getting all excited about. I've, I've, I've decided for this army that saving of the points doesn't buy you enough extra to make it worthwhile. And then two units of dependent state cavalry who are formed flexible, average and protected, experienced bow. So there's only nine units. That's it. This actually should come at this point as a, as a responsible broadcaster. I should say, please don't try this at home. <laughs> this is the, I have to say, this is experimental. I have used... I have <laughs> used Nick, don't try this at home. I have used the all-mounted Western ham previously. Uh, when it has to have a camp, it doesn't have the professional general, whatever. And I think it's a really, it's a really nice army to use. I really liked it. Um, I've, I've used it quite a bit. Um, fi finished quite a way behind Pete at Badcon, but that's the way it goes. Um, so, so the thing of this army is, you know, it's, it's going to be fluid. It's going to be bouncing all over the place. You may or may not float the legendary professional. A lot of the time you probably won't because you're probably going to end up with it quite dispersed. Um, you've got the talented who can send stuff on flank marching. Now, there's, there's, after I came up with this list, I did come up with a slight tweak to it, um, which might be to split the de dependent state into, th into three fours instead of two sixes. Gives you 10 units. Um, this is the thinking of thinking of that sort of option is based on what would you send on the flank march? Because with the talented general, you can basically send four on a flank. Well, you can send four on a flank march, but a bit pointless without a talent. You're losing too many troops, um, and the the chance of coming on. So the trip, the troops you're going to send on the flank march are, lo are almost certainly going to be flexible, so that you can come on with one red drawn Absolutely. by the flank marching, and you come on in the sub. Um, it does. It, you know, if you're sending four or maybe three, you're, you're really dropping the on-table tugs-to-break number to, to quite a frightening level. <laughs> if you had 10 units in the army, you could send three on a flank march and still have a break of four. Yeah. So, so that's something I thought of afterwards. But, you know, I have to say, this army is, is gonna, it's obviously going to rely on its shooting. Uh, it's not big enough to throw units in. You know, although it's got those fair amount of the mounted pole arm, you know, it's not big enough to throw them in if, if it all goes wrong. So you can spend a lot of time dancing around 
but you're not pinned down by your camp and uh, I hope your shooting does it. I'll have to say that although all the cavalry have got dismountable, I can't think they're going to, to be honest, that was using up some points. Right. Dismountable's cheap, but again, it doesn't add up to anything worthwhile to add to it if you don't take it. So that that is it. By taking the legendary general and all that cavalry, you end up with a PBS of 10 and the scouting of 5. So you really are hoping to dictate where and when everything happens. So my my worry to practice with it. Yeah. <laughs> Something rotten. My worry about this army is I, I I love you know it's one of those ones you've you've planned it out in your mind. But I'm worried there's not a single Cantabrian or a single skilled bow in the whole army. I don't think you've got the shooting power. You know you've got cavalry and fours, three fours, two six. I don't, I don't know. I, I, you're a very skillful player with this kind of army, so you will get as much shooting as you possibly can at the point you need it. I just worry there isn't enough. Um, as, as I said, th- th- this was this was done something as an experiment to see what those the, 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 the new option would give would give you. Yeah, I am. I do tend to agree with you. I, I think I would be a lot more comfortable with my existing one, even though it's got a camp that can be aimed at. But in your existing one, Nick, how many? Uh... Tugs and sugs do you have? Uh, Eleven tugs, no sugs. Right. Right. Um, so, so and are they are they fours and sixes? Uh, it's a mixture of fours and sixes. Still, I, I get the the chariots come in as another unit, a, a six a six of more. Uh, I don't give them devastating charger. The, it is a skirmish army, and one unit of devastating charger does get you into trouble. Yeah, and you get a bit more bit more dependent state cavalry. Yeah. Um, I don't tend to have any more command and control, but it's more evenly spread and can and can give me a floating general. Right. Because as I said, I don't think you're likely to float the general in this one <laughs> a lot of the time because he's you can't, can you? If 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 you're if you're scattered to the four winds across the table, you know it's it's also possibly light in command. You, because... you also can't afford to commit him as well, can you? Really? No. Uh, you won't have enough cards to power over units. You would only commit him if you're if you're pretty damn certain you're going to break yeah. something in, yeah, pretty quickly. Cause, yeah, cause, yeah you will. A lot of patience. Uh, a lot of patience, and it it will it would be vulnerable to bad luck. It's I say it was a it was an experiment. There's there's something in it. It'd be interesting to try and use it to get the hang of it. Um, but as we know, I will say you know shooty shooty cavalry armies take practice. This one would take even yeah. more practice. <laughs> So I'm going to say something pretending I know what I'm talking about, but if you if your opponent mixed their foot and their cavalry in trouble, potentially. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously going. To, I'm always going to make bold statements. Mm. Oh no, it, it, it can happen. Yeah. I mean, we we play games where you've done that, and it does. Yeah. It it is a it is a Makes nice a combination. The the slight problem with that tactic against the shooty cavalry army is the shooty cavalry army then skirmishes, and you end up with your cavalry ahead of the infantry. Yep. Yep. And then the next move, they they get picked on with the shooting. Before the infantry can catch up, yeah, but, that's true. but it does provide those multiple threats against it. I did notice, uh, not for this army, but uh, it, it, in the list, in the what's available, caltrops, which obviously, just going back to the history, is that's because they started fighting the the nomads coming down from the north, presumably. Yeah, it's so, anti-cavalry yeah. thing, but they're, they're quite expensive. They're something like twenty points a base. Right, right. I think I've, I've used them in a get in one game, and things it. it it's like stakes. When you put them down, you're then so tough against mounted, they don't charge you. Yeah. They just turn around and walk away. It's okay for sort of effectively driving them off, but it doesn't get you killing them. 
I, I, I would regard Keltrops as more for scenario games than I would for action games, to be honest. Romans caught in the desert against Parth. Yes. Like <laughs> yeah. No, just sort of back, back to this army, by the way. I it wouldn't. I don't think it'd stand that much of a chance against the two chin Pete's or yours. It'd be a tough day. All, all that shoot. It'd be a very tough day at the office. Yeah. Yeah. I think they'd be chasing you about, though. I think you'd be. You could have an awful lot of Benny Hill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but if you if you're, I mean. Yes, then it's difficult for Nick to lose, but he's there to win, isn't he? That's the great thing about Meg, as we always say. And for the listeners listening, if you come to an event, you know, everyone's trying to win because of the point system, not not because we want to win, we win at all costs, but because it's the only way you get points. So you tend to get games which are very exciting because, you know, the best games I've ever played, it's like 15-10 or something like that um, because everyone's had a real go at each other. Yeah. There's not much corner sitting in Meg. It doesn't pay. You don't you don't do well in uh, uh attack and break enemy units. Yeah. yeah. But again, so it's the was it this one be the reason to flank march to at least get something round a flank so cause problems. Before we uh, before we round up, um tell us how things are progressing with your you've got two tournaments coming up this year that you're organizing. First one is Cross and Crescent, and I'm yep. sales numbers. And how many tickets have you sold already? I think we're on 24 or 25. I, I, out of yeah, I think, I think you've only got four left. So I think you're on 26. Oh, right. Okay. Because but, but um, I was encouraged. I think we have a double booking as well. Uh, okay. All right. So I, I was I was encouraging the Kent Massive to uh, come up north, get a nosebleed, yes. come yeah. up north. And uh, I said, you better, better get on with it. There's only four tickets left. So, well, anybody, I, I did uh, bump it on the. Uh, forum yesterday just to try and promote a bit more interest good so you're going to get to 30 so nick nick is now doing a bit of cat herding and he wants to go through the resources that we have available well no, I, I thought i thought you might let pete talk about his second competition oh right since you mentioned two yes. yeah, well yeah that, that's the uh part of a bigger event the ribble rumble in uh at the end of the year and i think we've got 24 uh, places there, but the I'm not sure the tickets will be going on sale possibly within the next month. And that's and, once uh, again at Element Games. Yeah, yeah, but that'll include 40k yeah. and other game systems as well. Yeah, but just for the listeners, really easy to get to, close yeah. to Stockport Station. Every train that goes to Manchester stops there. Place to stay opposite across the road, Premier Inn. Premier yep. Inn across the road. Um, good. So Nick, come on, let's go through the. Uh, Figure ranges. Okay. Um, well, there are a number of figure ranges that are suitable for for that. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I play 15 mil, so the 15 mil ones are the ones I know about, and uh, the good ones are based on the Terracotta Army, um, which I'm fairly sure is figures Pete used are based on the Terracotta Army, and then he painted them Terracotta. Um, ones ones I know about have seen and used myself. There's Lurkio have a chin and a hand range. There's a lot. A lot of the figures are the same in both, but there are some um, ones for the chin that are a bit different from the hand ones. Um, Essex also do a chin and a hand range, um, and the figures are pretty compatible with the Lurkio ones. Have you mixed them, Peter? No, uh, yes, my cavalry are mainly Lurkio, but my infantry are mainly Essex. Yeah, but I, yeah. I think in size-wise, you could probably mix the, those ranges yeah. quite and nicely. The- the chariots that I have are all uh, Lurkio as well. Yeah, so that. Um, museum do a uh, a Chinese range. They just call it Chinese, but it appears to be based on the Terracotta Army. Um, 
Fighting 15s, same, Chinese range that appears to be based on the Terracotta Army, and Magister Militum have a Han range, although when I had a quick look at it, it looked to be based on older interpretations of Han, um, although I think they are, some of them are based in some history. I mean, the Han across the East, Eastern and Western Han lasted 400 years, so, you know, there's nothing stays the same for that. Um, 28 mil, I don't know so much about, but First Corps have a chin and a hand range, and new line designs have a hand range. Um, I mean, when this goes up on the forum, as we always put it up, if, if any of our listeners, I'm assuming there are plural listeners there, maybe being a bit optimistic. Um, Jeremy Jeremy and Preston. Yeah, yeah they, can always, they can always post up other suggestions on these. So th those, are the, those are the figure ranges that came out. I don't know if anybody else knows of any more that I don't. No, I, I was literally going to ask Pete. I was my, my research was Pete. What did you use for your beautiful <laughs> army that you took to Brussels? That was it. That was my research. Yeah, Lucio and uh, Essex yeah. for mine. Yeah, yeah. And I, my my Han is is Lurkio. I think I think I've got a few Essex figures for some reason. Um, this 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 edition's reading material. Chinese history is I think I categorise a bit of a bugger. <laughs> To get hold of um, Richard, what did what did you use? Have you got any specific recommendations? Because I, no, I, I think your description as a challenge <laughs> is probably fair. Um, I uh, I ended up uh, picking up various uh, odds and ends. Um, I mean, the the first challenge is actually just understanding the different nature because it it. it doesn't have the same tradition of West and military history is not a big focus. They focus um, for and philosophy, military matters. So um, yeah, you um, well go go ahead with the volumes that you covered, Nick, and I yeah. think you'll have covered the sources I came across. As yeah, well. certainly sort of the general history. I came across one out there, which um, which is a general history of the Qin and Han because they do run um, called Early Chinese Empires. Chin and Han. It's in a series of books called History of Imperial China. Um, and sort of, I've not got it, but it looks as though it's possibly one just to get us for that background. In terms of the actual figures and inspiration on that, there are a couple of ospreys, um, one on ancient Chinese armies from 1500 to 200 BC. So that covers the Qin. Um, and then there's one that follows on from, from it called Imperial Chinese Armies, Volume 1, 200 BC to AD 589. Uh, which covers the Han part of this um, Osprey format. They're still pretty reliable. There's also a, another Osprey, a single volume that includes material from those called Soldiers of the Dragon, which covers Chinese armies from 1500 BC to 1840 AD. Oh, yeah. Um, they, they're all they're all by a guy called Chris Pierce, and I think he, he just did a series of Ospreys that cover Imperial Chinese history, basically. So I think the yeah. Soldiers of the Dragon. It combines them. Can I Red add the ones uh, me and Robin because they've got nice pictures? Yep. Can I add that you can also find some decent books on the Terracotta Army? Um, so that that's relevant for more of the specific detail of the warriors. Um, the other thing, Chris Pierce also did a quite a good book on a series of ten battles, key battles, ancient Chinese history. Uh, that's use the background of changing. I mean. You 
for the for the truly determined, there are quite a lot of books out there which are translations of the Chinese histories. But if you read those, you you as Richard touched on, you you're not going to get much specific detail that's really relevant to wargaming out of them. Right. And you can read chapters. Uh, it's it's a bit the same with some of the Arab histories. You read you read pages and pages, and people pop up once. That's it. <laughs> you know, the quite you might get a, an extended genealogy for them, but they're only mentioned once. So it's it's, it's for the truly determined. Um, during this period, there's a couple of other things I would mention. Um, it's slightly before, but obviously it's massively influential. Just, you know, the earlier war, part of the Warring States is when Sun Tzu was around, the famous art of war, um, which has now been adapted to I think, every part of human life. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's almost become, a, you know, there's one for businessmen, isn't there? You know? <laughs> Sun Tzu <laughs> as applied to corporate takeovers and things like that. So, um, it's, it, you know, it's it can be worth a read just for that because it is so famous um, and it was a practical thing there's also another book called seven military classics of ancient china um, again obviously links will be appear on the which again covers covers some of the works actually do cover um military bits um and it's again it's quite interesting difficult to turn into things like lists and war games armies and whatever but it's a good illustration of the challenges when drawing up army lists especially chinese ones um i mean the just the the stuff on chariots in there because it goes back before the period we've been talking about to this podcast, it's just bewildering the whole array of chariots. And you think, what on earth? How do I turn that into, you know, a tug on table? So, you know, it's, it's difficult. But, but, you know, again, it's if you want to go into that sort of detail, look at some of the background of it, I'd, I'd give it a read. Neither of the, those are vastly different. So that's it. And of course, you know, the, the, the one we said last time, Google Images, you might find something there. Um, I have to say, when it comes to trying things, as you move further east, you do tend to trawl up an awful lot of rubbish. Uh, not from the East, almost always from Westerners um, projecting all sorts of weird thoughts about the East. <laughs> so, but, you know, there is some stuff in there. You might find some stuff. But, you know, Chinese, Chinese history is a bit difficult for us Westerners. Um, it's just different. <laughs> if, um, at, at the risk of sounding like a repeating record, the other thing I would recommend is... The Society of Ancients and the 55 Years of Slingshot CD, um, because that is fully indexed. And there are a number of really good articles on the Chinese army chin uh, by the likes of Duncan Head and it's Rennick. Well worth it. I'd, 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 I'd second that and also say, because um, just to, for getting access for the, the wider East Asian uh, military, because there are, there are really useful articles on um other, other armies and nations other than the Chinese as well, which you just can't get information. It's, it's you know, for Eastern armies, Slingshot is a really good place to start. And Arthur, because we, we, we talk about, because um, we've got two big fans and a member. Are you a member of the Society of Agents, Pete? I've just rejoined literally yeah. about uh, five days ago. <laughs> <laughs> was it was really just before you were putting in a big order for something where you get discounts. <laughs> Oh. But uh, I've tracked down the uh, the president. What's I've tracked down the president of the Society of Ancients, and uh, I will be having a chat with him for a future podcast. So uh, I think we I think we're beginning to understand that you know there's many reasons to uh, to, to join. Um, discount being one of them. Who we need more discount deals, Richard. That's your area, isn't it? I I will encourage the committee to <laughs> explore the opportunities with traders further there you go there you go <laughs> a very diplomatic answer richard 
All right, chaps. Well, um, it's been a blast, as always. Um, Pete, thank you for being a special sure. guest. Thank you. Um, lovely to, to see you uh, in these weird times. Yeah, it's good to see you. For a podcast with people all over the country, this isn't weird. This is how you do it. <laughs> so, um, so great to see you. Thanks for joining us. And um, I'm sorry, but I didn't let you get a word in edgeways, did I? That's fine. I, th I, th I think, although we didn't say it, I think we possibly agreed that your army was the best one for tonight. Yes. <laughs> yeah, as I said, I, I wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't want to face it with mine. I wouldn't want to face it even with my normal version. <laughs> Agreed. I think you, you definitely won the, the army list challenge, Pete. Cheers, all right, guys. Well, listen, yeah, uh, we've all got things to do, places to be. So lovely to see you all and see you soon. See you again soon. Cheers, sure. Right, guys, I'm very happy to have Tim Porter with me uh, on this episode of the podcast. And uh, for those of you who don't know Tim, he is the head honcho at the BHGS. Um, and they're a very important group who uh, do a lot for our hobby. Uh, I do just want to remind him, there's a bit of comedy, the first time I met him, um, he probably won't remember this, but uh, we were at a massive tournament, DBM tournament, he was up near the top table, and I wandered up to him and, and said that he was my hero because I'd been on Mad Axeman for a few years learning all the DBM stuff, and, uh, and he looked at me as if I was some weird stalker. And I don't, I don't think he actually spoke to me, but uh, so I just wandered off. So that was that's oh, my there's, first there's, recollection of you. Well, you know, that's the kind of positive impression I always try to leave. Really, I think um, <laughs> you know, war, war gaming as a group is very full of weird stalkers, isn't it? So um, yeah, you've always got to be careful, and uh, I'm, I'm sure that's a lesson you've learnt now that you're a media personality yourself as well. Right? <laughs> so um, okay, so uh, BHGS, British Historical Gaming Society. Now, I obviously know a little bit about that because I was a Rygate player. And when I joined Rygate, I think Rygate were pretty much running the BHGS. Yeah, I, th I think it was kind of a, you know, another one of the many tentacles of the, the J.D. McNeil um, pseudo commercial empire of some sort. But um, but I think since since then or in more in recent years, it's um, we tried to do a bit less work. Um, I guess, <laughs> so that we could all do a bit more gaming on it. And and what it's really ended up as is probably a combination of things, which um, hopefully are all reasonable to people. First of all, there is the BHGS website, which we've maintained, um, kept alive for, it must be going on for the thick end of probably 20 years now. And what that is really, it's got a number of sort of useful components. We maintain a calendar um, as best we can, particularly in these tricky COVID times of upcoming competitions and events and i think you know there are a number of different places on the internet um, where you can get calendars some of them are very specific on forums or, or facebook groups for different um, particular rule sets or periods there's some very good ones on particularly the partisan uh, the guys up in newark have a really really good calendar that, that we steal shamelessly from um, uh, there's, there's one on Facebook, Wargaming calendars and events. But what we're trying to do is, is to pick up not just the salutes and the trade shows and all those other things, but also as much as we can, all of the um, the increasing number, I guess, in, in recent years, and we'll probably come on to that as well, um, smaller competition in in the historical world. Because getting a calendar that, that covers all the things that someone who plays historicals could want to go to, whether that's a shopping opportunity or a, a demo game opportunity or, or a small competition in, in a village hall somewhere for, for one particular rule set is kind of a useful service. So, so we put quite a lot of effort into that. Um, we also run 
or have maintained for um, events of our own, some of which we we kind of inherited, and and they're all reasonably unique. Again, in in that sort of trend of of more and more competitions and and more and more competitions spring up specific rule sets as standalone. We run four events in the course of a year, all of which are are multi rule set events, and and we try and sort of spread them across the country. The the big one is BritCon, which has been in Manchester for, for more than a dozen years. That's the sort of two, three-day pseudo-residential um, event with thick end of 200 people and, and its own trade show. Um, in, in Historically, start in Manchester, we run it every August. We then inherited Roll Call, which used to be run by Shire Levy. I don't know if you, you go back as far as the Dunstable days for that one. Um, when, when that organisation sort of petered out, we picked it up because a lot it was a big part of the calendar for a lot of historical gamers. And um, we've run that in, in a couple of schools and we've finally settled, or we're recently settled at the moment, in one venue in a, a school in Cranfield, um, where we run that most April, March, April, around about Easter, sometime in the school holidays when we can. Um, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, that's about 150 or so people. And then we also... We Before we move to, on, give, yeah, just sure. give you a little yeah. break. Yeah. Um, I, I think you've mentioned two really important things there. You know, the, the events that you run are multi-rule set events. And that, for me, means that I get to see whether I want to or not, you know, people who I've known for 20, 25 years, I never get to see. You know, no, people it, I used to play DBM with, people I used to play FOG with, you know, I never see them. Um, oh, it, well, I, 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 I think that's great. Calendar. I mean, you know. Bumping into Sergeant Phil, Phil Powell, you know, yeah. it's it's great. <clears throat> well, the whole and social then, calendar of of going around the country and, and you know, yeah. meeting different people and going out for a beer somewhere, you know, there all these events and and I think now we are very much um, definitely in sort of a multi rule set era. And if, if you wind this back twenty or thirty years, there was only one rule set to do: it was, you know, WRG, and that was it. But you've got to sometimes have those opportunities to gather up a certain number of people together now there's there's a few other events that still do that um warfare the, the guys at reading do that um devises does does that as well um particularly well but but these sorts of events have become slightly less of the norm and, um, and i think the other thing i was going to say sorry just to interrupt but the, yeah. the really important thing is a trade show yeah now you know from walking from where we play played the last time we were at BritCon, the meg people played to the bar because that's obviously a well-traveled path for the uh, mm. for the big boys you have to go through where all the trade stands are and you've got to bring them by and everyone loves to bring them by so this is mm. i think i want to get over the impression for for our listener that you know these events that, that it, it is a multifaceted thing you yeah know? you know it's, it's got to be about much more than um certainly for britcon because people are there for so long and that's kind of the flagship it's become more than just turn up and play a number of games because you know you, there are so many places that are offering that just play some games experience, but but the trade show is so important to part of the um, part of the way of experiencing it, particularly with BritCon, that we now actually have kind of sort of pulling the curtain back. We've we've kind of changed the financial model, so every player now gets or has got a five pound voucher to spend with yeah. the traders to encourage people to spend money with the traders and and the traders like seeing people. It's a sort of more casual show they can stand and chat you can find out what they're you know bringing out or, or whatever and for that part of the world up in the the northwest it's kind of actually one of the bigger trade shows 
in the calendar for for the whole northwest so we pull in a few hundred other people who, who come and wander around and see the games and and it's just kind of a nice nice atmosphere but but it allows the the historical war games community to to eyeball each other and, and see how many people are there which is which is the same with the, how, how, how the does that compare well. to um how does that compare to reading warfare when it was at reading so we don't we don't have any evidence what it's going to be like at Ascot yet but this year will be the first but you know how many civilians you know turn up at uh, reading to go around their trade show oh, no, I, I think you know reading's in reading's a different um kettle of fish really i think reading is reading's a competition and a trade show okay um, whereas i think BritCon is an is sort of a more integrated experience for it you know i, I wouldn't be surprised if reading is getting two three four thousand people it's you know it's big numbers of people moving through there um and and that's why a lot of the the gaming is sort of pushed off into a separate hall but it's it's not on the scale of reading it's just a lot more intimate it's just um and it's that point of as you said seeing people that that you know that you're going to see them and go out for a beer in, in manchester or wherever um and building up those those relationships over you know sometimes there's definitely people that I've known for for more than thirty years um, who who you'll see and you know it's your it's your time of year to check in with them and and I think there's probably some gaming goes on as well if you if you don't organise I mean, your time that, well that's enough. That's definitely how I feel about BrickCon and I know we'll talk about the challenges of BrickCon but you know meeting up with Graham Briggs going down Canal Street ending up in a transvestite uh, karaoke bar what yeah. more do you want well, in life? You know. But it's, it's part of the schedule, isn't it, really? Yeah, okay. it's absolutely part of the agenda and the schedule, for sure. Okay, so um, so we've got, we got um, BritCon, and I think we're going to need to come back to that to talk about the challenges of BritCon. Mm. We've got Roll Call. We know Roll Call. It's at a school. You know, it, it's multi-rule multi, multi uh, set, and um, they're all the rule sets are competing for more space, and I think Meg filled its quota, I believe, the last time we were there. And oh, it, I, I think, yeah, Roll, roll Call is... Um, I think it's in sort of a... A sweet spot geographically, and yeah. um, you know that just sort of Central north the M twenty north the M twenty five. There's there's some big communities for for some of the rule sets specifically. I think the I think DBM is very very strong there because Milton Keynes is a real hub for that, and some of the other other places are, are very strong for it. You pick up a lot of the players from London as well, so we're always oversubscribed with roll call. Um, we're not probably as oversubscribed as it, it probably feels from the outside. We, you know, we, we run a waiting list and we try and balance things as much as we can. And, and normally there are quite a number of people who will, will book because we put the tickets on sale quite early and then drop out. And I know, you know, I've, I've worked with you on, on the wait list for, for, um, for the Meg competition last time. And yeah. I think we managed to get possibly about half a dozen extra people in. And by the time the event comes round, it's rare that there's anybody left on the wait list. But um, but it is a tricky one. But it's it's a very difficult to you know to find another venue. And I think there's a whole bigger you know, discussion. Maybe we'll come on to on on the challenges of of venues for events of this scale yeah. um, that that break this almost sort of magic number of about a hundred people. Um, a hundred people you can fit in a gaming centre or, or somewhere smaller. But once you're getting to 150, 200, you're well. You're let's come back to that place. because yeah. we're going to move on to things which are you know, you know, the future. But I mean, I, I would say the one thing about Roll Call, I noticed that we have French players coming over. So it's mm. it's, it's just convenient, you know, it's yeah. near, you know, it's convenient. So well, I think I think also to be, you know, you see the same with um, Warfare as well um, for the Reading competition, which um, Wargame Association of Reading win, run. And certainly I know a few Spanish and French players who will come to that 
partly because the show is there as well. Yes. Um, and and yes. the same is true with BritCon. They will fly into Manchester. Um, it's very convenient for them and and come in and and they can do some shopping. And, and I suspect that's going to become even, even more so. I um, agree with post Brexit and, uh, yeah. and you know the issues. People we are post Brexit now. Um, exactly. Yes. Yep. <laughs> um, so, so okay. So now, the t- why, why I kind of separated in my mind is that um, we've now got two other tournaments, um, and we're going to talk about the UK Games Expo, and we're going to talk about the London GT. Now, why I especially want to talk to them, I have not been to either. How about that? Okay. I've not been All to right. either of them. Okay. Okay. So um, uh, let's quickly deal with the London GT because. Yeah. So I, but, I, I, I want to claim some kind of credit here. I think I introduced you. You did. To the London yeah, absolutely. GT to, boys, to Zach. Right? So yeah. I, yeah, because we had a player, as, their 40k yeah. players. I introduce you. You did all the hard work. Well, you know, it's it's a couple of phone calls and um and, and a nice smile. But um, but I think the the interesting thing about the London GT, we used to run, or the BHGS used to run. Um, that was when I was participating in it rather than rather than organising it. Um, we used to run a whole series of doubles events, particularly in the yes. enormous in the DBM era um, around Lots the country. There's five or six of them. It, was, it was really, really was a thing. I think that rule set was, there was something structural about it that really made doubles work. And I think we were all um, younger and keener as well, um, <laughs> traveling around. But but there was something there that made that a sweet spot. And then we also used to run, um, there were team competitions. I think there is one at Milton Keynes still, but with two or three players in the same team. And both of those things were starting to run out of steam. I think they... Um, they carried on a bit through the fog era and then with the fragmentation of, of rule sets it became much more difficult to to run events um either a doubles tournament or even a doubles circuit or, or a team event um and we were we were just kind of looking for home to carry on with something that would tick that box so so you putting us in touch with the the london gt which is a big 40k and those sorts of games um mm almost none of which I've ever played, bizarrely enough, um, event. And running in a sports centre in, in northeast London, just sort of off the North Circular, that is a huge, huge open space. And because it is effectively an indoor running track, which which means there's, from a wargaming point of view, enormous flat area around inside the running track and um, a very high ceiling for great ventilation, which is which is always tremendously important for us all. Um, so... so they were keen on on expanding into historicals so so we put together with you kind of added the team thing that that used to exist in the bhgs calendar as best we could for for multiple rule sets into the the london gt and i think what um we we Does run the team all sorts go of... across rule sets do you have one fog player one ADLG no, player? We, it's no? it, it's an interesting idea i think but uh, i think you know, having a club that plays three rule sets would be kind of challenging so so you've got some of the competitions are singles because that's just the way they work some are teams of three some are teams of two all their scores going together last time it ran we we also sort of um put our wing around the asaga world championship right uh, which took place and brought some other international people in as, as well nice um, toys nice, nice lovely toys. stuff nice lovely toys stuff. and yeah. um, and, um, and work with them and got some support from gripping beast so um so we're we're carrying on running some of those and i think the 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 meg stuff has kind of grown into it's now become the home for as i understand it the the meg world championships which has been been in a um didn't it sort of 
operate almost in an oven in Daventry from from all accounts. Yeah, in, in we, we, yeah, we like certainly that. had two very hot, two very hot yeah. years uh, in Daventry, mm. and yeah, and and I, I yes, and we we yeah. we've unfortunately. Or fortunately, you know, you've got to praise it. We've outgrown that venue. Oh no, absolutely. Um, and I think it's and, it's. You know, but I think being at the London GT. But I think it's more than just now, isn't yeah. it? I think it's the whole PSC tie-up. <laughs> I mean, you probably have, yeah. you get to hear about these things more than me. But I mm. think there's a PSC tie-up, and they've got multiple rule sets themselves. Yes, true. Yeah. So I think they're doing multiple things, and I think they see it as a retail opportunity. I'm sure. Yeah. No, well, you know, it's you know. it's amazing that London GT. You know, we. I think last time we brought probably a thick end of about 100, 120 people to it, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, and we were actually quite a small part of, oh, I yeah. suspect, almost four or 500 um, gamers there playing GW and all sorts of other yeah. systems. But but it's just a good chance, again, it's that idea of the historicals hobby is is the historicals hobby. And we talked about the advantage of meeting the same people and, and having a social calendar marked by competitions around the country. Um, but... But equally, on the other side, there's a bit about looking out into the rest of the hobby and not yeah. just becoming too... And too not be so worried about the future of the hobby, because you know what? As you said last time yeah. we had a beer together, the future yeah. of the hobby is great. You've just got to look in the right place. Exactly. You know, you know there's, there's an awful lot of people out there doing all sorts of gaming. And, and, you know, it's kind of giving them a chance to see that there's more than just shopping on whatever GW produced in the last, you know, the last two months and, and clicking on that. There are other things. And... And so but let me ask one very specific great, question, yeah. Tim. Sorry, yeah. for our international listener. Mm. Um, so I would imagine the London GT is really easy to get to, and you guys in anything you organised had some a good uh, a good representation from Spain, from uh, Italy, from France. Yeah, no, de definitely. You know, but I think London is just attractive anyway to yeah. everybody. Um, but you know, where the London GT is, you're kind of northeast. You can London, bring your so. partners with you. They want to well, come. Stansted, you know, Stansted works to be close to it. Yeah. But there's a whole set of, you know, the other thing is there's a whole set of fairly budgety hotels um, within easy striking distance of, of that venue as well. You know, it's not got that London, it's London, so, so it's ridiculously expensive. You're into um, an area within a reasonably short catchment area where there's all sorts of different um different places that you can stay at different accommodation rates and i think that's that's a really important part when you're looking at at venues or, or places for for it because it's part of the overall cost of participation really you know yeah. it's not just the ticket price or well or, or carrying the lead around it's a, i think we're beginning to move on to something i definitely want to talk about i mean i, I think london gt tick the box because it's the skull rollers uh, you know it's the meg world championship i I think it's still called Skull Rollers. I'm not trying to be funny, but Skull Rollers, Meg Championship, World Championship. I, I, you know, we're going to get a lot of people there. But the, the one, the challenge I have is this, is that, you know, as the cat herder mm. in, the, um, in the Meg community, uh, along with, you know, Robin and, and, and many others, um, UK Games Expo in, in Birmingham at the, at the NEC. I mean, I'm from Birmingham. I know the NEC, you know, friends in Sully Hill, right? I cannot think it's it's centre of the country. It's big. We can have unlimited tables. You know, if if, if the Meg community is growing and we've got our and our sorry, the the Meg um, tournament scene is growing and we want twenty tables, I'm sure we can yeah. have twenty tables. No, absolutely. You know, the, the, so here's that's a challenge sort of then because yeah. sell it to me because I've never been and I've been one of the people saying Oh, it's too expensive. The hotels, blah, 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 parking. I, I've been a doubter. So come on, let's let's get the facts on the table. Yeah, no, I, I think it's because you know, we moved um, 
an event, the, the BHGS Challenge, that had, I think you know, some of you may remember it from the Licensed Victuallers Association many years ago. Then we and where we it, stayed at the school. We, we stayed at the school, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I've got some, some horrendous memories of the, the shared, shared dormitories and showers, yeah. um, yes. but uh, we won't go there. That's a different podcast with a different... Um, I think I had to share with Madigan. I didn't like that. Oh no, that's frightening. But um, but I think we we run that there. Then we've run it at other venues, and and again, finding venues is a challenge. So, on this sort of principle of well, over about the last ten, I think it's fourteen years now, UK Games Expo has grown up from being just a tiny event in in a hall um, down the Hagley Road in in Birmingham, um, some sort of slightly odd conference centre there, and then they they made the jump to the NEC a few years ago, and then. A big, big part of the concept of that is open gaming and, and competition gaming and friendly gaming and board gaming. There are you know, acres. They they now take, in a normal year, three halls at the NEC, one of which is literally just for open and competition gaming. And So just to give that a bit of um, yeah. context, you're, you're, uh, for those who people who don't know you uh, uh, in your professional world, you know, that's your gig, isn't it? You do... Oh, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I've, I've spent 30 years running trade yeah. shows. So, so three halls uh, at NEC, that's a big show, isn't big. it? Big. Well, put it um, put it this way. It's, I suspect it's probably nearly twice the footprint of Salute and right. with possibly three times the attendance. Um, yeah. And it's yeah. for the, the role play, the board game, all of the other things under this really broad church of gaming, which which honestly nearly all of us not not all of us because you know you, you can never say in absolute terms but nearly all of us have got an interest in and do and take part in um so you know i i play board games with people uh, you chat to people and people are playing board games online now <laughs> a lot more I think, tabletop simulator mate tabletop simulator exactly you know it's board games or figure games it's the same thing and it's it's better for board games in such a way so it's one of the three biggest gaming events in the world. Um, Is that true? The others big, yes, with Spiel in Essen and Gen Con in the States, UK Games Expo is is probably number three at the moment. Um, and I'm saying that because I don't quite know how big Gen Con is, but it's not going to be as big as the German one, but it's getting up there. So it's a huge, huge event. There's independent board game companies. There's all sorts of things. Wow. And, we're well, that cosplay, to... are the cosplay people wandering around? Um, sadly, yes, occasionally. Um, oh, no, but, I, I, know, I'm quite careful... attracted to that, actually. I've, I've, seen, yeah, some, but that... I've seen some great cosplay out Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I, I think it, it doesn't quite do the full, um, what's the, you know, there, there are those sort of cosplay and fan Comic-Con events, isn't it? It's not right. a Comic-Con. It is, you're not, you're not having half the hall full of people dressed as clone troopers or, or something. It is about games and, and the developers are there, Every, all these little independent publishers have their their stands. When we say games, more... it's like Magic: The Gathering. It's 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 yeah. it's everything. It runs the gamut of the whole thing. And, and you know, they have national tournaments for. I think last time it ran, there was a six hundred person X Wing tournament taking wow. place over the weekend. Have you ever played X Wing? I think X Wing is a good game, by the way. Oh, you know, it's, and it's the models are beautiful, and you don't have to play them. <laughs> well, at the end of the day, it's Star Wars for real, isn't it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Don't, don't spend too much time going pew, pew, pew um, with anybody um, overhearing you. But, but yeah, so it's it's a big event to be part of the community that, that we're part of, actually. Yeah. And, yeah. and you're kind of in it. And the same way any event, you wander around and do a bit of shopping um, in that. But so being there, having unlimited space, being at the central location in the NEC, um, thinking 
some people are coming around and looking at us but but actually the, the people I chat to and myself and, and the other people I game with we're all just actually almost happy to to feel that we're part of something bigger which is kind of important because all too often you know a lot of the events there are 16 of us in a shed and um yeah. and then we all go home on a Sunday and you don't realize that you're you're part of something kind of bigger and Actually, um, Milton Keynes the campaign is it Milton Keynes that I I, I wasn't yeah. out as a war gamer for a, for yeah. a long time and then right. I came yes. out and yeah. going to Milton Keynes it was brilliant I loved it yeah I loved it yeah no exactly but imagine Milton Keynes and um but all the people walking around are not normal people. They're people who are already halfway there to thinking what you do is socially acceptable. So, um, yeah, you know, but it's, there again, weren't many normal people in Milton Keynes, mate. Yeah, that's that's a different, again, we're on to a different podcast again. <laughs> but um, but I, I think, so it's it works from just being part of something bigger. It, it's where we, it gives us a safe home for the event when, when finding venues are challenging as well. And I think the... So tell us about happening. the historical stuff that goes on specifically. What 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 have you got going on that you is in your remit? Yeah, well, we we do all the same historical periods, or we we'd love to do all the same historical periods that we do at the other events. So so we do. There's a DBMM thing in fifteen, and um, they do what the six mil on the the twenty five mil bases, which always looks very impressive. Yeah, they have a specific yeah. competition there. We have fifteen and twenty five mil ADLG there i think we've had some renaissance there in, in the past i'm trying to think back a couple of years since it last run um yeah fogar and then the fog team there as well we've had some bolt action there as well how many so, fog, how many fog players turn up um i'd have to you know there's a website that's the other thing about the bhgs website we've got all the results got all the all the other so so if you want to try and remember where you placed in the um you know the dbm western league and wherever it was in 2002 you can always go on and have a look at the previous results yeah I, I don't really like looking at those kind of results no no no. but i think there's there's probably best part of 20 fog players as well okay and um i think it's birmingham it is the nec so there is a parking charge and you know it is more for a burger than it is buying it from a a van on an industrial estate in, in Shepparton or something like that. You know, there's, there's no two ways around that. But with a little bit of thought, um, quite a few of the different groups, if you chat to them, they've all tended to somebody has, has picked up the banner and and found a cheap hotel. Because yeah. the, the thing about Birmingham being a major international exhibition centre, that does mean there's a lot of accommodation in you know in striking distance, very, very close by, of all sorts of categories. Now, you can, if you're, you know, you want to game and inject it into your veins 24 hours seven, you can stay on site at the, the world's most expensive hotel um, for what it is, the Hilton Metropole, for um, 150 pound a night if you want. But but equally, um, certainly the group I go with, we now all um, have found a Premier Inn in Solihull, which is 15 minutes away. Um, you know, it's a Premier Inn. So you're paying 30 quid a night, um, which is as cheap as you pay anywhere else. Yeah. You're in a town that's got fantastic curries. Um, you know, with, there's, there's now a restaurant we go to each time. It's one of these ones where you bring your own booze in and, and oh, BYO, really, really good stuff. BYO, really, really Table arms, table arms. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and then we kind of stagger out of that. And, um, you know... Uh, uh, is and the booze. Snooty Fox, the nightclub, still open in Solihull? I'm going um, back to my youth... When I was a youth. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, because I, I, well, we used to both um, work for a company that had an office up there, so um, it's it's quite a while. But I think nightclubs, uh, there's 
there's a few years ago when I realized I'm just not going to be allowed in anyway. So I'm not even going to try. I've, <laughs> yeah, I've just stopped right. doing that. Uh, you know, it was, sorry, it was, it really was wishful thinking on my part. Yeah, yeah. And, and the other kind of thing is, is uh, people go oh, about the parking, but, but we worked out that getting a, an Uber from Solihull to the venue that will fit four of us in, or you, you know, you order a, a six pack is like less than the parking. Yeah. And then you can all have a pint um, yeah. at lunchtime. So you kind of, once you sort of amortise it, you're going, well, if it costs us three quid to get there and three quid back, and then we're staying in a 35 quid premium, this is the same as anything else. It, it just looks... Um, all right, so it's it's, we need a bit of thought. Budget. So it, Yeah. Okay. What, what I would definitely suggest is, you know, have um, have find somewhere nearby that, that your group, that group can kind of go to. And suddenly it's like... This is the Birmingham Curry weekend, and by the way, yeah. we're going to buy some board games, and um, and we're going to, you know, we're all going to share taxis there, but we're all going to go for a big, cheap curry and and some pints of. I mean, I, um, I've always in, in war game, I, I, I've always had a, you know, if one goes, we all go kind of mentality. I want hmm. it to be priced so everyone can do it. Yeah, you know, that I've always, and especially when I was playing forty k, you know, there were a lot of younger guys in our team, and you know, we we there's always a way. There's always, there's always a, way. a way, and I think. You know, the, the one thing that, that sitting as um, the thing that really <laughs> slightly does my head in as, as kind of the cat herder on, on one side of the fence is um, there's a way in which because UK Games Expo is sort of a three, four day event and you can go as a family. You know, some some of the guys I know um, who are taking competition, their, their partner comes up with their kids and their kids go around the show and play games and, do, and then they're wargaming and then they come back to it. So they buy a family ticket. So. The Games Expo has got visitor tickets for families, groups, two days, three days. Some of the gamers will come on Friday and do their board gaming on Friday. Um, I've been up there a couple of times myself. We arrive Friday morning, get out one of these big board games that that takes you a day to play, find a place near the bar, and our Friday is we're playing History of the World or you know, or, or something like that that you can never normally get the chance to do. Yeah in a big hall surrounded by people who, who don't think that's embarrassing, um, which is kind of wonderful. Um, I don't, I don't, I've just got this picture of my mind, by the way, that, that the only one time my wife Mena ever went anywhere with me, Yeah, uh, we went somewhere and I was playing and someone someone who we both know started yeah. talking to her and for an hour tried to persuade her to paint my fingers. And afterwards she said, she said I'm just, it's your thing, I am never going again. <laughs> that was yeah, it. I, I, think, I think that... Um, you might have given it away who that was by saying talk to me for an hour. That's probably um. Yeah. It wasn't Hammy. It wasn't Hammy. Oh right, okay. Oh okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. we're, we're going to have to talk about that offline then, definitely. Um, okay, so but, so so really, really, UK Games Expo. When is when's the next one? Well, the next one, um, they run. They've had to move their calendar about. Normally, they run kind of early June. Um, it's kind of May June time, but the calendar at the NEC, like everywhere else, has just been completely um thrown up in the air and, and in the exhibitions business all of the exhibitions of every type you know from from widgets to you know electronics to to trade shows consumer shows, all the ones that would have run in the first half of the year have are trying to be shunted into the back half of the year so so uk games expo this year if anybody wants to have a look at it um is going to be i believe in in end of july beginning of august now we're still not sure, or they're still not sure, what restrictions, COVID-type restrictions, will be in place yeah. to affect an event with twenty-four thousand people at it. Yeah. Um, so even you know, with with the best one in the world and 
and the UK gets back to normal on the 21st of June, the exhibitions or the large scale exhibitions industry expects some sort of, you know, legacy restrictions to, to go on for a time after that. Um, and also UKGE, because the NEC has had 12 months of events decanted into, it's, it's fitting a quart into a pint pot. Yeah, concertina um, didn't. Concertina didn't. So, so they may not get as much space as they want or need this year. So, so it's, it's unlikely, it's still vaguely possible, but but realistically, we're not going to be able to put an event on there this year. Okay. But next year, what we want to do is is be back up and doing that. And I think we will still, certainly for a game from everybody I've talked to, I'm I'm looking forward to going back to, to well, I'm looking forward to going back to a Premier Inn in Solihull. Yeah. I think, did I say that out loud? What am I talking about? I, I'm, but, looking uh, going, I, I'm looking forward to going to a Premier Inn in Stockport. I can't wait. Yeah, yeah it's rock and roll, isn't it? Our lifestyle, just um, where... How the mighty have fallen, but um, but yeah, I think that that side of it, that's one we definitely want to get back up and running um, as as much as possible because it's and and we could run it as location. an event within your event, and if we need it, oh, you know, I'm, well, I'm picking it up. That, honestly, know. there's there's not. Um, I think I think it's to to think of um, the BHS as some big multi tentacled organisation with thousands of staff. What it basically is is when we run an event, it means we liaise with the UKGE people to sort out the tables so that each individual competition doesn't need to do that. We buy the prizes um, and have them ready to hand out to people. And if you so need it, because of the way the scoring system works in in each competition, we will run a computer program to to put all your scores onto a bit of paper that we print out and stick on the wall um, so that you need to do it. So, So actually we're doing as little as possible to take away the admin around running an event so that any any historical gaming system can say okay we want to run an event we want to run our own competition and we're basically okay can you do the umpiring can you set the theme can you check the lists can you tell people to to sign up for it and then we will do all the logistics and the and the background work and it just all happens at the same time so there's no there's no other constraints on it other than that, really. It's a very light touch um, organizational support network, really, to to make it easier for people who just want to run events to to run some some events and and save them doing the logistics. That's that's the long and the short of it. So, uh, changing subject a little bit. What are you working yeah. on at the moment? What what army are you painting at the moment? Oh, I'm I'm sat here on um, on the desk. I've got some fifth. I've got some of the fifteen mil. Um, museum their new oh z range yeah the z range i've got some of the scythians horse and some of mm. the um the greek light horse which are lovely figures they're nearly done um because i've got this is you know the way it always ends i've got about four or five units of thracians which are zeistern which are really really nice yeah. and i've looked at it i thought i want to turn that into a thracian army um because it, it, it's not kind of much so I, I, you know two dozen extra cavalry and, and it gives me a chance to buy the Z range which I like doing because they're interesting figures um I'm doing that and then there's a few what else have I got here I hope you're using contrast more. paints not on those um mm. we, I, we talked about it on um on the Malaxman podcast actually this week and um Peter one of um, one of the other guys on it who's the big advocate for pod, um, contrast paints um he was saying just use them because they're, they're great for it and I said well they're brilliant but I almost want to do some figures without using them because they're a bit too easy and I want to you know carry on no, remembering no, 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 how to do that, other that, techniques that that, that 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 makes no sense to me whatsoever that is that's exactly what that Peter is heresy. said exactly what that, Peter you've said just yeah. actually 
you've just yeah. you, you, you're like you're, you've got your finger in the dike holding back yeah. it's ridiculous ridiculous oh, yeah, holding back the future so, isn't it, really? so you yeah. mentioned your holding back the future so yeah. you mentioned your your podcast um i actually have listened to a couple of episodes of your podcast when i see that the you know what you're going to be talking about the, in terms of the army the history and mm. and actually uh, look let's let's get it out in the open yeah. it's about adlg but well, no, there's, it's there's actually, really, it's, it's actually a wargaming a, podcast that happens no, to be centered two, around actually. that. There's, there's two under one umbrella, uh, really. Maybe so, um, yeah, no, it, well, there's one podcast. So, so on Podbean or you know, on the website, there's the Mad Axman podcast, and that's what it's called. But we do two different types of episodes. So, so one of them, yeah, absolutely, it's there. It's, it's we look at a specific ADLG list very much the way you do and and dig into it and talk about how to build a list but you know if you don't play AGLG that's not not wildly interesting but the other the Mad Axman podcast which always has a bizarre title and a bizarre write-up is is something that we started oh, at the beginning of lockdown one um, last year when about six or seven of us from from central London um, realized we weren't seeing each other to chat yeah, shit yeah. down the pub yeah. so so we started doing a weekly zoom call and um in fact initially there were six of us and then tamzin um said you need some other input into this and we said yes we do need someone who knows how to paint to talk on this one um so we just chat about what we painted in the last week any tips or hints or anything that we learned or whatever there's a bit of banter andy does a quiz um we've got a new um we bring in some features last last year we had Everybody else educating me about Napoleonic warfare because I knew nothing about it, which was a little bit bizarre, um, slightly surreal series. So it's and it's sort of evolved into, you know, I hesitate to say a zoo format radio show, um, but it's just a load of nonsense for about an hour and a half or, or somebody somebody said it's like wargaming wittering. It's yeah. like listening to those blokes down the pub that yeah. you're sort of overhearing them, but you don't really want to be on their table. That's kind of where we're going with it. And, um, I, I so think it's uh, any podcast for, uh, you know, and obviously now that I'm, you know, in that, in that world is yeah. perfect for, for painting. I mean, it wasn't oh, a podcast, yeah. but last night I was, um, uh, I, I'm sure this all, most of this is going to get edited out, isn't it? But I yeah. was listening to Simon uh, Elliott um, uh, doing one of his uh, lectures uh, from Guildhall uh, about the, the, the Ninth Legion. And you just sit there painting. I painted a whole unit of Assyrian cavalry. It's yeah, just brilliant. Yeah. yeah, as long as you didn't paint them as Romans through it. That's funny. That's what I said to me this morning. He said, I hope yeah. you didn't paint them uh, as Romans. No, 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 no do <laughs> the right. No, I think podcasts have done really, really well in um, in this lockdown. It's they're kind of we do it really just because by the act of recording our normal chat, it makes sure that we do have that chat. So in, yeah. in some ways, if, if nobody listened to it, it would still serve a purpose. But it just means we all, everybody wants to bring something. They want to talk about something they painted. They want to share something. Otherwise, you're not bringing anything to the table. So it's kind of helped keep us all sane, sane, and, sane. and motivated and doing yeah. it. So that, that's really right. the main reason. Final that, thing, because yeah. you yeah. and I could, well, we just turned this into a whole new podcast, just talking bollocks. Yeah. So, <laughs> Maybe that it, could be it. so Britcom, yeah. we, I, I personally... I, whatever I could do to help Britcon be Britcon, I want to do. And I know there's a lot of people like me out there in the community. Yeah, no, Britcon's a real... real we have a challenge, thing. don't we, with Britcon? Because the actual Stalinist architecture building in Manchester is going to be knocked yeah. down. 
Yeah, it's um, we've we've actually the last two editions we've um, both of them we've thought could have been the last one, but you know they Manchester University's got a multi-million pound redevelopment project for that site. It's a it's a you know it's a very close to Piccadilly. It's a it's a valuable site, and they've been talking about closing it down. There was talk about knocking it down to accommodate um, a new bit of light rail in Manchester as well. So Britcon's been in Manchester for about 13, 14 years now. And um, the latest that I'm told or, or I'm able to extract from the university is that July next year is kind of the current date for the, you know, the ending of that being as a, as a facility. But, but they still don't know if, um, if they're going to knock that particular building down. And that date has moved any number of times um completely at the moment so so i think certainly i've been working for the last couple of years talking to to people looking at some different venues to try and get some some different options and the aim is to keep as much of the the brick you know, the three components it's the trade show it's long um day gaming um yeah. brick sort of starts 8 30 finishes 8 30 on the saturday yeah. um potentially the friday night game as well though not so many people are keen on that these days um and have accommodation within walking distance as well. And those are kind of the three, the three real main components of it. So that does sort of steer you towards university type um, venues. And, and I think the challenge, the challenge we're seeing is that, or certainly pre-COVID, that a lot of those venues over the years have now moved up market and and moved towards the summer conference yeah. market because yeah. with BrickCon we we hold it or traditionally we've held it in in the summer because to get the university accommodation and, and all sorts of other things so um we're still looking at other venues but we're now the, the places that we've been in the past um if you remember Loughborough you know you go to that campus now there's not even a space to to hold yeah. something like BrickCon they've they've redeveloped it into different types of smaller meeting rooms and conference space and if you go they're trying to sell you a package with with meals and audio visual for for far more than the cost of um far more cost per head than than we actually charge them so so i think it's going to be um hopefully we might end up running next year slightly earlier just to to sneak in to give right. us an extra year's grace right. depending on on how easy it is to find a new different venue and, and sort of bring the shortlist of the ones that we're looking at at the moment. The the extra. So can I just can I just stop you yeah. there? You do yeah. have a shortlist, so I'm, we've got I'm, some other I'm ones not here. Panicking yet? No, no, I wouldn't panic yet because there's there are a couple that we were talking to and getting prices for pre pre COVID. You know, we've been we've known this is coming for quite some time. Um, you know, the although again to be fair, the other challenge is whether all of the the venues. Um, laid off their venue staff or put them on furlough as soon as COVID happened because because events and conferences did stop. So, so one of the challenges is seeing when venues actually open up again and start re-employing the staff who manage and take future bookings. So so some of the places we've um we've not been able to get hold of people for quite some time because they're just not there um at, at the moment in in those sectors. So yeah, you know, we're we're gonna have to move over the next couple of years for sure. But there's there's enough places out there to to give us something of a shortlist. In fact, you know, I've got another conversation in the next couple of days with with somebody about something. Ideally, keeping it in north of Birmingham, okay. I think is is the secret because with something LGT in in North London, with Cranfield, where we're at with something in Birmingham, we kind of want something north of Birmingham so that our four events are are spread across the country. Um, 
and you know we'll we'll see how close we get um once once the world starts to open up but you know we're, we're now getting close to having to do something to it and even with a, a fallback situation one of the the questions i do keep asking myself is you talk about the graying of the hobby but but the original impetus for BrickCon to be in the school holidays was partly to get access to that sort of venue and the student accommodation but and partly because people would be you know taking their kids on holiday or, or whatever but if if more of us are now or no there are less of us with school age children and more people with adult children who've left whether we've got actually more flexibility on dates you know we're not seeing pushback for events in september or in you know wherever people in, in, in outside that school holiday time so so i think we've got more options than that we might have done a few years ago and it's making sure that we use those options to to choose and identify something that's that's going to work so so that we can keep that going it's got to be done it's got to be done, done. Right, no listen thank you very much for your time and I, I just want to stress something you know what you do at the bhgs is for the benefit of all of us who play historical wargaming and i know you're generous with your time you're generous with your effort and i can imagine at times it's a thankless task but a big thank you from me anyway no well you know thanks ryan i think there's 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 an awful lot of um people who contributed to it or with individual periods there's a lot of people who've done it before me i think you know, having a, a background in the events industry i probably for sort of the last there's probably about 15 20 year period when other people were doing it that that i kind of avoided putting myself forward um, because i knew i'd end up doing it anyway at some point uh, it was going to kind of be my destiny to do it so no it's great to do it and you know to be able to sit there at things like BritCon and and see 200 people come through happy and having a kind of chilled out vibe and a, a you know a decent experience of it and and just being grateful for putting events on that's it because there's there's plenty of opportunities for gaming you know i, I think if you when our calendar gets back up to um full steam it, depending on what you play or if you play two or three different events you could probably do an event sometime almost every weekend of the year at the moment um somewhere so so being at a bring together some of the multi-period those those increasingly rare big scale events it's just like a really nice thing it's kind of reminding everybody how we used to be um when we were you know perhaps more of a a bigger more cohesive group in the past and, and making sure that that's not that's not lost we can't lose it right yeah. um, thank you very much for your, all your time no, thanks for having brilliant. me on right it's been grand and thank yep. you thank you very much um, see you soon all right